Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you doing today, Adam? I'm doing great. Good to be here with you. All right, Scott, how are things over there? Good. Glad to be back. Another week three. Here we go. Another week. Let's do it. All right, guys. So I think we have maybe the most important episode to date so far. We have a brief history, but I think this is the one that maybe some folks have been waiting for. And this is good, actually. I think this is going to be a great overview into everything you guys are doing right now, kind of the path going forward as well, as far as the products, what you guys have to offer. Certainly they've seen and we've touched on these things over the past few episodes, but now we get to do a deep dive, if you will. Today's episode is what is TAN and what is Redboost Collective? So a simple little title, but an important concept to go over. So maybe we start there, right? With you on your side, Adam, TAN, you guys use this abbreviation, but it stands for something, right? Travel Advantage Network. So let's start there. What's your background coming into TAN? You've touched on it, but maybe give us a little bit more detail, a little bit of your background in the industry and how you've arrived here today. Yeah, this is definitely one that we've been waiting to do. And I think that it's a good division of labor for Scott and I to come at this from a couple different angles. So I actually come at it from the outside of TAN, outside of Travel Advantage Network. I've known TAN, I've known Scott for 10 plus years. So I've seen it on the outside And now I've been experiencing it from the inside and trying to share that message with the industry through LinkedIn, through conversations with managers for the last three or four months. So I'm starting to get a feel for both sides of that discussion. And it's interesting because TAN is very unique and there's a lot of complexity and there's a lot of pieces that have to be connected to fully understand it. So even knowing them for 10 years, even having sold a couple of products to them, I still had a lot to learn once I got inside and started peeling back some of the layers, starting to understand how all of these pieces connect. So I'll give a quick history of how we came together, what I've worked with Scott and Travel Advantage Network in the past, and then we'll talk about how we've connected and then what those next steps are. So just to give a quick history, like I mentioned, I've known Scott and the the TAN group for about 10 years. They were one of my early customers at Point Central. So about 10 years ago, Scott and I connected and started talking about Kiosk Access and the idea that guests would go directly to the property. And at the time, it was a battle that I was having with every manager I would talk to. Nobody wanted to give up that control. They all wanted guests to go directly to the office so that they could see them and meet them and and build that relationship. And while it's a good idea, I don't think any guest actually wanted to do that. Nobody wanted to go out of their way. Nobody wanted to stop and take that time after being in the cars. So it's interesting to see the way this industry evolves and we hold on to some pieces as managers and we don't want to let them go. And I think keyless access was one of those examples, direct to the house is one of those examples, but it shows how long it takes for some of these trends to change. So as Scott and I were talking about that 10 years ago, he ended up buying Point Central from me using that. It's still a software that we use today. It's still a technology that we have out in the field deployed and we rely on an everyday basis from an operations perspective. Fast forward a little bit, I made my way over to, to Breezeway. Again, same concept, coming out with a new uh, form of technology to the industry, had to introduce it to the industry, had to educate. To Scott's credit, they are always early adopters, always on the front edge of things, trying to understand how they can improve. And as Scott and I have discussed, how we build this moat. We're trying to build this moat deep and wide on a daily basis, how we can differentiate. And Scott's always seen that, and he saw Point Central as that way. He saw Breezeway as that way. So as part of that process, I got to see the inner workings of their team, especially at Point Central, In the early days, the salesperson was also the support person. So I was working very closely with Scott and his team on installations, on support. I got to see the inner workings of how they were doing things. Not quite as much on the Breezeway side, but I definitely got to understand their operations a little bit deeper. Now, fast forward, and I'm working with them at the end of 2022, and I'm getting inside the operation. I'm starting to understand how all of these pieces connect. And it's really interesting to see how they are similar, but also much different than the typical vacation rental manager. We'll go through and we'll talk about some of those pieces, but I started to get the understanding 
that the Vacation Club, this travel advantage network, and this is what we'll define here in, in just a minute, but this Vacation Club changes the vacation rental model tremendously. And the key to this is reoccurring revenue. And you can see this across all aspects of our life. We Everything is turned into subscription-based, whether it's Spotify or your phone or your cable. Everybody's paying on a monthly basis. Everybody's looking for this reoccurring revenue. When you look at the stock market and private equity or angel investors are looking for, everybody's looking for this reoccurring revenue so you can value a company based on that. We see that in the vacation rental space, but it tends to be on the vendor side. So a lot of these vendors, same concept. They're trying to get you to pay an annual basis so they can value their companies on this reoccurring revenue. You don't see that on the property management side. You don't have property managers that are trying to generate reoccurring revenue. They're going out and fighting for every dollar with every reservation. So every time they're going out and marketing, every time they're talking to a homeowner, every time they're talking to a guest, that's like a new conversation for them over and over again. If you think about the TAN model, this is completely flips it on its head because now you've got this reoccurring revenue. You've got these guests that are paying to be a part of this vacation group. And that changes the way that we can operate. It changes the revenue stream. And as a result of that, it changes the way that we start to look at the market. So quick background on that is that it opened my eyes once I got inside and start to see how all these pieces start to connect. And then that'll lead us down the road to understanding a little bit more about TAN and then ultimately where RevBoost Collective can start to connect. Yeah, no, that's a great overview, I think, into the different, the background, right? Like how you got here. I think that's a good way to understand it. And I think you're correct. Very few people think in that way. And people that I've talked to over the past six or seven years, that's never top of mind for them. I call that hand combat, right? Where it's like you have to win each thing piece by piece or assign each owner one by one. And uh, certainly it's possible, but it's a heck of a lot of emotional and physical labor sometimes to get there. So that, that that's a good overview. I guess the next piece to go into, you have, how is this different, right? You touched on it briefly, the history of the company, how long they've been around. This isn't a new model. This isn't like a startup company that's only just coming around. So maybe just a little bit more on that with respect. To yeah. So let me touch on, let me touch on the make, the background of the model itself. And then I'll let Scott get into the history because I think that's where we start to understand the different perspectives. Someone who's been inside and understands it and can touch all the pieces together versus someone on the outside. And this, this is what we're struggling with right now is how do we educate the industry to understand these differences and see where the value is for them and understand how we might be thinking about things a little bit differently. And that's why the pieces don't always connect. We're going through this educational phase. And I went through this with Point Central. I went through this with Breezeway. You've got to get out in front of things. And you've got to help the industry understand, A, what it is that you do and why your model is different and B, what that value is. So I'll give a quick synopsis and then we can get into some background with Scott's perspective on, on how TAN was developed and how it grew up. So TAN is a, uh, is a travel club right? Travel Advantage Network, short for TAN or TAN short for Travel Advantage Network, is a club that guests pay to be involved with. And this goes back to that reoccurring revenue that I was talking about. So they pay a fee to be in the club and then they pay an annual fee to remain in the club. That gives them access to new inventory, new locations. It locks in their rate when they become a club member. We've been doing this for 30 years. So we've got some club members that locked in their rates 30 years ago. So as prices were going up during the COVID boom, our, some of our guests were locked in and we're still using rates from 30 years ago. It gives them access to last minute deals where they're 
they're getting deals to go on vacation for a week for three to five hundred dollars. So there's a lot of incentive for them to be a part of this club from a discount perspective. But there's also a lot of incentive for them to pay attention to the club because they're financially committed to this concept, right? They turn to TAN as their first option. They're not going to uh, OTAs and looking at booking.com or going to direct websites. They're going to Travel Advantage Network because they have paid to be a part of this club. They believe in this concept of getting these discounts and finding these new locations to go on vacation. So that's the first difference is that we've got this annual reoccurring revenue from the members to be a part of this club. So our revenue is driven by the club. It's not driven by the management of the units in the field. Now, the second part to that is that we've got 80,000 of these guests that are in this club. So the demand is exceptionally high. We release inventory on Tuesdays. And when we release inventory, our guests are trained to pick up the phone and get on the website and book that inventory immediately because we've got such a high demand. They know that these bookings aren't going to last very long. So when we start to approach the market this way, where we start to think about how do we keep our guests engaged? How do we make sure that our our guests are going on vacation versus how do we maximize every interaction that we have in the field to pull out a revenue stream from that? It changes the way that we look at the market. So to a quick recap, TAN is a vacation club. Guests pay a fee to be a part of this club. We then find the inventory for them to stay in around the country. We're managing 1,200 units today across 75 different markets. We're looking for partners in every one of these vacation locations or vacation destinations so that we can continue to add more inventory into the mix so that we can keep these travelers engaged. I guess we will go over to Scott now and I'll ask maybe a tough question, which is that if there's 30 years of history, if there's 80,000 guests, and I believe we had previous conversations where you talked about 750,000 plus vacations, why do you think TAN perhaps is not more well-known in the industry? Yeah. So I'll start with the history lesson, right? And I want to start this and preface it with it's context, right? What I don't want to do is be taken out of context because if you take a snippet of what I'm about to go into, it can sound like right? Like it lacks humility. So I just want to be clear on that. It's funny because I, I believe in humility and some would say that I'm probably overly humble. All that coming from a guy that's on a podcast talking about all this stuff out in the open. So it's a conundrum a bit for me, but if you spend 30 minutes with me outside of this podcast thing, you would see I lead from humility. So I say all that to say, I have one one setting right in life, and that setting is all in. So when I do something, it's all in all the way. And that's family, friends, everything, kids, fitness, you name it. And that's certainly the way that we approach business. So TAN is currently the legacy business kind of that I manage and inside of my own life, right? TAN will be where I retire from, right? This is the ultimate. It's the largest. It's the best performing. And everything that I do on a daily basis, everything we do on a daily basis is centered around TAN, right? We're going to grow TAN. And we talked last time about the difference between what does gross rental revenue mean, right? What does net mean? We are a top line company and we actually have the ability to grow TAN and we can see that path right in front of us, right? That path exists and it's not this shoot for the stars path. It's a clear path. So as I lean into this, right, I feel a tremendous duty to make sure that these TAN clients are taken care of. They are my priority every day and at everything that I do. And one of the first things I did, Conrad, when I sat down in the, on the TAN side is I posted my email address, my real email address on the website for all of the clients to see. That was literally step one and I made myself available. That's an email address that doesn't go to some marketing 
team where they go through it and try to answer it for me. There's one person that answers that email and it's me. I want to stay that connected to the clients. We send emails from time to time from that email address. And when they reply, as a client replies, it comes to me. And again, that, that's an all-in approach. So I've got a tremendous duty to the clients. And then you take the layer under that. I also have a tremendous duty and responsibility to this team, right? I take my responsibility to make sure that they're well taken care of both now and until the day they choose to retire. I see that as my responsibility. So so that's where I'm coming from before before we get into all of this, because I don't want to be banging on my chest about how great we are and how big we are. We've been around since 1992. And like Adam said, we've had guests with us since that day. We've got clients from the early 90s, the late 90s. And what it's allowed us to do is have a model that suits all of those clients. And I think Conrad, you and I on, a, on, a, on another video, and we'll hit on a couple of those points, but that's what allows us to book an entire year, right? I've got people that want to travel when no one's traveling. I've got people that want to travel right in the peak and it works really well from a client-based perspective. Our sole focus is, and this was founded on one principle, and that was that regular working middle-class families should get to go on a vacation once a year. That, that, that is the mission. And that's what everyone believes in. It's what hooked me in when I connected back in 2013, because I can tell you me sitting in the seat today, I remember the vacations we took as a kid and I can smell the smells. I can hear the sounds. Those vacations left an impression on me. And every day that I come into this office, I have the ability to provide that right through everything we do. We have the ability to provide that and it resonates with that team out there. So the early days of TAN, this was an inventory growth model, right? So it was a couple real estate investors and they were on both sides. They were building the companies and they were building this real estate portfolio. So it just started with this nice, slow roll. The first ever condo bought, we actually just sold it like two years ago. And it was in the Myrtle Beach Five Seasons Resort. I, it was like, there was such a sentimental value to the very first condo ever bought. But what's happened is with that investor group, they just keep flipping units, right? They'll hold them on them for a couple of years and then they upgrade to the next thing. And that unit just keeps rolling. And then the next unit comes in. It was that. And then we had this starter pack of resort friends and contacts and just other third-party leases that we would pull in. We would go into places like the Myrtle Beach Resort and other owners would want to know from the investors, oh, how do you have that? So it was just this organic growth. But ultimately, that those were the early days. And then the other aspect to this business, and I think we've all talked about it a few times, but it's sales first fulfillment, right? So in this industry, in this club industry, the first thing everyone thinks is this is a timeshare and we're not timeshare. Are there some closely related components? Sure. But I think the bigger part of that, and certainly something that I had to deal with, and it's a sticky part in the business is TAN has never once sold a vacation package. We have been a fulfillment company and you know what everyone would say, a vacation rental management company since day one. We've never once been in the sales side. That sales side comes with noise as does most sales cycles, right? People buy it's and we've talked about this before. It's like a gym membership, right? People have this strong desire to go to the gym. They go sign up, right? And then they fade out. That happens to sometimes on, on this side. And Tan was often in the spot to bear the brunt of the regret around that decision. So it's a real thing. The big hook with Tan is we're here to get people traveling. We're in full alignment with the client base. We only do well if the clients are traveling. Adam talked a lot about the 
the recurring revenue and the fees. The reality is that people aren't traveling. If clients aren't taking advantage of us, they don't pay those fees for very long. So everything we do is based on engagement. And then I think there's two other, a couple other points, Conrad, and I think I'll say it again, right? From an infrastructure perspective, Adam talked about this. It's 1,200 units, 75 locations. I believe wholeheartedly that we've got the best team in the business, right? From the call center, the people in the field, we are the best at what we do. This diverse operation that's scattered everywhere. We've had to put the best systems in place, the best technology. And listen, do we hit our marks every time perfect? Absolutely not. It just doesn't happen. But what we've built is a bunch of systems and right, whether it's, we call it the early warning system or whatever it is, but we have a system in place that goes through, looks at all the comments that came in the day before, and we try to escalate to the client that had an issue before they escalate to us. So something went wrong. We see it in a report. We'll actually take a look and make the decision to contact that client to say, we saw you had an issue. We're sorry about it. How are we going to handle it with you proactively before you escalate to us, which has been surely one of our strongest points. And then I'll just close on one more thing. And that's Brooke, right? So Brooke built Vantage on TAN and Brooke started Vantage because TAN needed inventory in Ocean City. And that's going to be a real familiar story here in about 10 minutes. But Brooke tells the story way better than I do. It's in his book, Zero to 500. And what I'll tell you is Brooke sandbagged a little bit because Brooke's zero to 500 was the retail properties that he pulled into Vantage. What Brooke left out of that is he had another hundred properties that actually went to. So the actual growth Brooke understated in his book. And so why are we just coming forward now? We've been comfortable in our little world here. The co the travel boom definitely slowed us down, right? We had people, we had resorts that we had dealt with for years that sold and turned into a co apartment complexes on us, right? So as that momentum shifted in, in that travel boom, we had to make some adjustments. So this was time to say, look, and we've done this before. Let's take this out and let's offer what we did with Vantage, but let's offer it to the VRM community as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that we did cover, we have covered that story in the past and the book, I think does a great job of highlighting it. And that's a key part of what he talks about on his side of things, right? Is that ability to get in front of people and the TAN offer as a rental manager, the TAN offer just makes it so appealing, right? It's what is this? It's that curiosity loop that really draws people in. And then a lot can be done off that. And like you said, more to come on that in, in the time here. So I think we can, do, did we cover TAN accurately in your opinion? Did you guys have the opportunity there to dive in? Is there anything else we want to add in perhaps on your side, Adam, as it relates to TAN? Or should we slide into RevBoost at this point? I'll make one comment and then we can slide into yep. RevBoost. I don't want to understate the quality and the value of operations, right? We talk about TAN as this travel club and that's the true differentiator is the revenue model is different than the typical vacation rental manager. On the other side of that, the operations is exactly like every other vacation rental manager. We are out there operating in the field day in and day out. And as Scott stressed, 1,200 units, 75 locations, we've been doing this remotely and in disparate places for 30 years. So we have a lot of companies in this industry that have a hard time doing it locally. Operations is a challenge. That's why I went to Point Central. That's why I went to Breezeways, because I felt like operations was the crux of this entire industry. If you don't get operations right, you don't get guest experience right, you don't get homeowner experience right, operations is the absolute key. It's the backbone of, of everything we do. 
So I just want to highlight that as much as, yes, this is a different model with a different revenue model. At the end of the day, we are a vacation rental manager, just like every other vacation rental manager out there. And we've got boots on the ground that are operating these properties, having the relationships with the guests, having the relationships with the homeowners. We do this day in and day out. Now, I do think that slides us into RevBoost a little bit because we've got some opportunities where we can partner with some vacation rental managers there as well. But did you have a question around RevBoost, Conrad? Yeah, no, I think that does a good job of highlighting it. And to your point, we have clients where they're in two markets and they sometimes struggle (laughs) between the two markets to be in that quantity and deliver at a high level the right guest experience that people expect. Because that's the thing, right? People pay to be in the club and they're going to demand a very high level of service. I think you had a good point a second ago, Scott, on your side of things when you said, look, they're not going to stick around if they're not getting a good value. They have to pay that fee every year. Let's be honest, right? If a rental manager in a single market kind of messes up a little bit, what's the worst thing that's going to happen to them? Negative review. That's basically the worst thing. They won't get the booking in the future. A lot of them will shrug their shoulders and say, "Ah, okay, with this model, if you kind of that lifetime value, Brooke talks about that quite a bit too, the lifetime value of that person coming in and being a member of the club for 30 years, you said it started in 92. I was thinking that's really old. And then I'm thinking, oh, wait, I'm older than that. So it's been a while. <laughs> but if people are going to leave and then you're not going to have, like you said, people that have been there for that period of time, paying fees the whole time, that, that leads to, I think, a lot of what you're talking about with respect to, you have to do a good job, right? There's no room for error. There's no room for, oh, we'll get them next time. There won't be a next time because they'll leave and they'll find other options. So I think that's worth, yeah, I agree. That's worth going over a little bit more in detail. No, I'm ready for RevBoost. I think we've done a good job on TAN. Let's dive into that. So I guess, Adam, right back to you. We said a few minutes ago, what is Travel Advantage Network? Same question. What is RevBoost Collective? Yeah, and this is where we start to add layers and potentially complexity and complexity can lose to lead to some confusion. But what I'll say is that TAN is the travel club. That's what we've just defined. TAN is also the operating company that manages that travel club and manages the units out in the field. RevBoost Collective is a group of vacation rental managers that are partnering together to leverage the TAN model. So we, as a company, Scott and I are going out and trying to partner with vacation rental managers so that we can continue to grow our inventory. As we've mentioned, we've got the demand. We've got these 80,000 guests that are eager to book. We release the inventory and they can book it very quickly. Now our goal is to continue to go out and build our inventory, grow our inventory. So as Scott mentioned before, we can scale on the guest side. We can feel very confident that we can continue to add guests into the club, but we also need to make sure that the guests that are in the club are engaged travelers and are getting new inventory in new locations and are continually seeing value in that club. So RevBoost is our goal to go out into the market and to create partnerships with a couple vacation rental managers in just about every vacation rental market in the United States. We've got some locations, Costa Rica, Bahamas, Caribbean, where we are international, but our primary focus is US-based. So we're looking for partners in just about every one of these areas so that we can have a mutually beneficial partnership in a few different ways. So the first way is that we can offer guaranteed rent. And we've touched on this a little bit, but what we're able to do is give guaranteed net rent for the units that that we work with. And we'll pay that up front. Now, we touched on this a little bit last week. We do need to think differently between gross and net. So we've got to get down to that net rent. We got to remove all those expenses, figure out what you expect the homeowner to make off this property, what you expect to make through your commissions off this property. And the bottom line is what we're trying to drive to. So we can give net rent paid up front. We're also going to give a 10% commission to that vacation rental manager. 
And then we can talk about operations. Now, a lot of the vacation rental managers that we're talking with, they want to continue to manage operations. And I get that. I think there's an opportunity to maintain the relationship with the homeowners as well as maintain a relationship with that property. So I see a lot of value in the vacation rental partners actually continuing to manage those properties. So as much as we can take over operations, if we want to, we've got the team and the background to do that. We're also happy to have the managers continue to operate and we'll pay them for those operations. We'll pay for their direct expenses. And then we'll also allow them to put a margin on top of that so that they can ensure that the operations is profitable for them, which again, thinking about last week and profitability, there are a lot of times where operations is not profitable. It's not easy to get operations profitable. So upfront payment, net rent, 10% commission, pay you to run operations and make sure that it's profitable. And we can do this. I get a lot of questions of too good to be true, or that that just seems like it, it can't work. For us, we can do this because we've got this revenue base that's coming from the club. And as a result, we know that we've got the demand from the travelers. We know that we've got the revenue coming in. So we can pay this upfront to the homeowners, to the managers, allow them to continue the relationship with the homeowners, allow them to profit from the operations, and then allow them to keep this inventory in their portfolio so they can continue to add value to the portfolio as they add new properties. Yeah. The way that I see it ultimately is that the inventory itself, it just has a different value to TAN than it does perhaps to the manager. The way that it's utilized is not the same. It is apples and oranges in that respect. So if one person comes at it from this way and they use it in this particular way of like a traditional manager commission model, and then this way is I'm making people happy that I want to keep into my in my program, keep paying me, it's different. It's not the right approach. So I think that would kind of be my frame on it and learning about it and you got you all educating me about it would be that the reason that we can offer this particular package or series of benefits or whatever you want to collectively call the offer itself is that it's worth different things to us. Our guests and our customer, our guests coming in isn't the same as your guests. It's literally two different types of people, types of use cases. So I think that's a good way to maybe think about it. If someone's still a little, oh, why would you make this offer? I think that's a good way to summarize it. At least in my head, I've squared it up in that way. Connor, that's probably one of the best kind of recaps I think I've heard. Like, I'm going to go back, write this all down and use your pitch because Conrad, that, that's just it. And I talked at the front part about the duty I feel to these clients and you articulated it far better than I've ever been able to articulate it. That's it. Like been this for the long. It's a very different, it's a, very, it's a different use case. Yeah. Taking that space, it's meant for different things. All right. I'm going to go right back to you then, Scott. I don't think you're off the hook. So the benefits of Redboost, we've highlighted the I think Adam did a really good job of highlighting the mechanics of like how the offer can be made, et cetera. But talk about it on the manager side. Okay, you're making me this offer. I don't have to take it. I could do it the traditional way. So what are some of the benefits of why the people that have accepted that offer and done this model, they come back and talk to you later. What are the things that they say? What's the context that they have for, okay, I've gone through this process. Now I see this type of benefit. Could you go through that a little bit? Yeah, so it's funny. There is a... There's been a handful of people that get it from start, right? They understand it, they see the value and they grab it. And it has been like lightning with them. Like they'll come in, they'll contact us and say, hey, I wanna learn more. And then two weeks later, we've got 10 units done and we're off to the races. So it's, it's this, It's Adam said it, it's education, right? It's awareness. Our goal, Conrad, and our focus, and again, I say this, I want to maintain my con- context comment, right? This is with humility. And if you take a snippet of what I'm about to say, it can be flipped. Our focus and our goal is to partner with the VRM industry. We want to come in and Adam mentioned this one or two partners per market, because we're not coming in asking for hundreds of units in most locations. We're coming in and saying 10 units, maybe 20. And we have a couple locations where we can go bigger. 
But in those locations where we're asking to go bigger, it's because the market's bigger, right? And we're not coming in and trying to grow and outgrow a partner. And we're choosing from a group of units that is very likely not making the VRM money or just breaking even. And again, to your point, we have super high value in those units because they suit our need. So we talked about the value of TAN, which is where my focus is, right? And again, I'm taking care of the clients at a much higher level, which is what I want to do because we're giving them more options. We're giving them better service, taking care of this team. And ultimately, like clearly I'm taking care of my future as well. So we've got this target list of where we need to really grow or where we want to go with RevBoost Collective. Focus number one for us is to start with, we want partner or a partner in, or a partner or a group of partners in that area. If we hit a place where we cannot get a partner, then step two for us, and it's not this path we want to take, we'll go in and we'll open a VRM ourselves, just like Brooke did with Vantage originally. And ultimately, we've been forced to that level already, and we met the perfect partner that opened a lot of doors for us. So we talked about this, Casago, Delaware, and Ocean City, that's us coming in. I went out, bought the franchise. We are so aligned with the Casago team their legacy approach, they're here for the long run. And you look at this and say, now Adam and I are gonna, we've done a lot of work together in the past, now we're gonna grab hold of something that we're about to build for us. From start to finish, we're gonna build this thing for us. And the reality is, after trying for months, Adam can attest to this before he ever came inside these walls, I've been working to get a partnership since early summer, 2022. Adam was involved in trying to help me talk to people. I worked it again at Burma. Adam has worked it and it was just not a fit, not a fit. So now we're going to come in and we're going to build our own and say, it is a fit. Here's how we've covered the tan side. We were a part of RevBoost ourselves, and we've stood up the best retail VRM in the marketplace. That's what we're going to bring. Doing it with Casago, there is not a better group and a more aligned group. We have that ability. And as you look at Casago, we're already talking to several of their franchisees about growth inside of there, which is, again, we're here to provide value to everyone. We, Our growth in a segment that most people don't really want to manage or struggle to manage, we only want that small chunk. We're also looking at new markets, right? Where do we go in and say, we can help start a brand new market. And again, you go back to, to Brooke's concept. We have that playbook. We can say, yeah, you read about it. You've heard Brooke tell stories about it. Now here it is right here, hand it to you and let's go. So for us, focus number one is let's do it with a partnership. We've already been walked to step number two in Ocean City and Delaware, and now we've got the right partner to do it with Casago. So I think we've got some really exciting things coming, but RevBoost Collective, it, it is the, we chose the name and it ends with collective for a purpose, right? Because it is truly the collective wins. TAN wins because we get what we want out of the deal. The VRM wins 80% of the time, 90% of the time, because they're getting rid of a unit that's hard to manage. And the owner, 80 or 90% of the time, is getting more money than they were in the retail market. Yeah. Let's go down that money piece really quickly then, because I think that's a good overview and the why is an important consideration, I think, in these scenarios. But we, at least I've seen this before, right? And there's companies yes. that imploded during COVID with, um, hey, we offer you a guaranteed rent, then 
their bookings fall and then they're toast, right? They're out of they're out of business. So walk me through and for the folks listening, walk them through the difference between the rev boost kind of approach in the model versus a here today, gone tomorrow type of managers that unfortunately we've seen die in the last two years. Yeah. So listen, this morning I posted a video of you and I having this exact conversation just a few months ago, right? So listen, it is a soft spot, right? And it's a soft spot, weak spot, sore spot. And I'm sure in the education process, and Adam alluded to it, right? It's the too good to be true thing. The folks that came through and sold this model during pre-COVID, right? And we all know the names. We don't have to say each name. It came in, they were grabbing buildings. They were grabbing multiple units. COVID hit, right? And it was just gone, right? It collapsed. No doubt that they left behind a taste where people look at this and say, we've seen this before. It didn't work. Great try. You made all this noise. We saw all your stuff on LinkedIn and now you're gone. And most of them went out in not the best way possible. So I get that there's questions I get that people can look and question us. The only thing I can offer Conrad is one, I think you should go back and look at the video that you and I did when we talked about this, because we went far deeper. But I think the other thing is, the only thing I can say is since 1992, we've been doing this. We were built to fund investor portfolios. That's what we've done. And listen, I can't get into the details of every investor's portfolio. I can tell you, we walked investors up from buying $50,000 condos. Those same folks now are buying eight, nine million dollars, $900 million homes now based off where they started with us, right? And they just kept growing themselves. So we've proven it. Now, now again, I think we've got to get a few more partners. We've got a few already. We're about to do it ourselves. I think there's a component of prove it. And what I would say in some of these situations is Adam's out talking to a bunch of people, throw us a handful of units and watch what happens within the first few weeks of us having those units. Watch, watch what we can do with it. Watch the homeowner satisfaction, take that first step. And then I think we can show and prove ourselves out that it's high value. Yeah, I like yeah, I'll, I'll jump in real quick and just add uh-huh. something to that. I think that there's a significant difference and it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning with TAN and the revenue model. If you think about those companies that, that Scott mentioned, whether it's triple net leases or rental arbitrage, there was someone in the middle who was trying to make money off a piece of property that was moving from one person to another person. And there was a reduced rate in order to move across that line from one person to another. And someone in the middle probably took a piece of that as well. So while you're doing it, saving pieces off the top, hoping that somebody can make some money off it. Now on the end of that process, they were all still fighting for the same client. They were all still releasing that back into Airbnb, back into Verbo, back into their direct website. They were all still fighting for the same general market that the first person was fighting for, but now they're doing it after shaving all of those discounts off the top for everybody else's revenue along the way. That model was a recipe for disaster as soon as the market changes, just like Scott said. As soon as COVID hit, well, the general market froze up. So regardless of where you bought that property or how you bought it, you couldn't find the people to rent it. And as a result, their capital was gone because they had already made the promise of, hey, we're gonna pay you for this regardless of whether or not we have guests. There's no way they anticipated that the guests would freeze up, but that's what markets do, right? You can't predict those types of things. With the TAN model, 
we've got that revenue that's built in. We've got that closed network of 80,000 guests that is paying that annual fee to be a part of our network that are eager to book. That's the difference when you look at our model between a, a rental arbitrage or a triple net lease is we're not releasing this back into the general public to go rent it. We're going right back into our club to say, hey, we've got a great new unit that's available for you. It's going to be released on Tuesday. Make sure you pay attention and get online and call us to book it because it's going to go quick. And then they follow those directions and book. That's a completely different model than what we've seen in the past. I think the uh, the quote that I am reminded of when I w- you were talking about the rental arbitrage thing, I think this is a Buffett thing. It might be a Munger thing. I don't know. But it's picking up nickels in front of a steamroller or something like that. So like you're making a little bit of money and you're doing it so quickly and you're just hoping that you can stay ahead of the steamroller. And then like COVID, yep. you dropped all your nickels. You sprained your ankle, you lay down and the steamroller just crushes you, unfortunately. Yeah, some people got crushed. But this again, I think your point there, Adam, lends to my earlier commentary about apples and oranges. Again, your apples to apples is, okay, a rental arbitrage guy or person has it versus a typical manager. I think you you did a good job of expanding upon that. It gets released back into the same marketplace, except uh, person A is in a much worse financial position because they're paying two grand a month and then they have to make more off of that. It's it's a challenging thing. Also, you own no assets at the end of that model, but that's a different time for a different, exactly. point for a different episode, perhaps. A lot of people love it on TikTok, though, I'll tell you that much. All right, let's, let's turn the page a little bit. Okay, the types of properties is an important consideration. Talk about that maybe for a second. Maybe we'll go back to you first, Adam. The what is the target property segment? So if I'm a rental manager, I've made it this far. First of all, thank you for making it this far. You're listening. You're into the the approach that we're having here a little bit. Why would someone say, ah, what should I give you? I have a unit in my head that might make sense to you. Why should I call up you guys and offer it to you? What would be a good fit? This is part of what I think makes this model so powerful. All of the other pieces that we led up to this, I think is powerful too. But I think that one of the most appealing aspects when I think about this model for the vacation rental industry is the target market that we're looking for. And it's that affordable market that Scott mentioned. And it goes back to the core of what we're trying to accomplish is to get middle America the opportunity to vacation every year. Family, loved ones, whoever it might be, giving them the affordable opportunity to go out and travel and see a new location. That's an important part of life, as Scott mentioned. And we're happy to do that and we're happy to be a part of that. But from an industry perspective, those affordable units, those affordable vacations can be pretty challenging. And this is what we talked about last week with the PUP analysis and understanding where profitability is at a unit level. And if you start to go through that PUP analysis and see where the profitability is, the ones that are on the edge, the ones that might be losing you money or very close to not being profitable tend to be those affordable units. It's the condos that are similar to 30 other condos in a building that are hard to rent, or it's the smaller studios that are a little bit off the beaten path that are hard to rent, or it's the three bedroom and it gets some not great reviews from the guests that are coming. Those are actually great units for us. Those are the affordable units that our clients love. They've got to be a quality experience and we're going to help with that. We've got the operational team that can step in and make sure that it's got a great deep clean and make sure that we're maintaining it. We're even open to switching out furniture and adding point central locks. Our goal is to make sure that this is a quality vacation. We want to make sure that our guests are engaged and enjoying their experience, but it doesn't need to be high end. It doesn't need to be large. So to answer your question a little bit more directly, we're looking for the smaller units studios up through three bedrooms, maybe some four bedrooms. We're looking for those smaller units. They can be off the beaten path. We can move those units exceptionally quickly. And going back to last week's discussion around profitability, because that happens to be an area of the industry that tends to be difficult to create a profit from, we see us as an opportunity to partner with managers and remove that segment. 
there's always going to be a need for these affordable vacations. There's always going to be a group of homeowners that are looking for those affordable units. We need the managers who can step in and offer those units in a way that's still profitable for them or else that segment's going to disappear because why is the manager going to take that on? So we see Red Boost Collective and we see TAN as that opportunity to help these managers partner with us and outlay some of those units that are a little bit more questionable. We're going to turn them very quickly. We're going to give you that upfront pay. We're going to give you the commission. You're going to turn operations profitable. And then on our side, as we've talked about, we're pleasing our guests. We're making sure that our guests are engaged. They're seeing new inventory and it's coming at them at a regular pace. So uh, we're looking for the smaller units. As you get a little bit larger, you get a little bit more high end. That's also where the revenue model changes and where we believe that these managers should be reallocating their focus and reallocating their resource are on those higher producers, which tend to be those higher end properties in those larger properties. Yeah, no, that, that's a good summary. This may be a tough question too, but what properties or what managers would not be a good fit for Red Boost? I'll let you go after that one, Scott. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's funny because Adam's point is one that we hadn't hit on before, right? All the time, Conrad, what we'll do is we'll come into a market, and this is happening right now in, in a market that we're working with a partner on, and they're struggling to take certain units on because they don't fit certain quality standards. And the reality is they don't fit ours. And Adam talked about it. Like, they're ones that are just hanging there. But what we do is we come in, Conrad, and say, all right, two-year lease. And what we're going to do is we're going to bring it up to spec. We're going we're gonna to replace furniture. We're going to do some work in an owner's unit. And then we either share the cost with them or we dilute it across the lease. But we're going to take that asset, help the owner. Because again, at the end of the day, we're in this for the clients, right? They, weren't gonna, they were going to struggle on the retail market. It was going to be a problem. And we come in and say, we're all in on this. And we're going to show you because we're going to put our own money into the unit to make it a great unit and make it a great product. So that kind of recaps the what fits part. Conrad, to your tough question about what doesn't, it's really the stuff that VRMs are already doing exceptionally well with, right? It's the stuff that's kicking off the high rents each week, the heavy repeat gas, big family stuff. We, we can't touch it. And again, it goes back to what we talked about is about the value of a partnership. We're pretty clear on that's the value. We cannot touch a portion of your portfolio. And maybe in the VRMs, and I think Adam said last week, it's the 80-20 rule. 80% of that portfolio that's already making you money, we can't touch and we're not going after anyway. It's not a fit. We are truly after the 20 that's likely hanging right on the edge of break even or not making it. And not only, again, are we grabbing a unit that you're struggling with, but we're going to take it all the way through, improve the unit, improve the product, so we can deliver to the clients on our side. Great units that are serving you well, that have that repeat base, we can't touch and we're never coming to compete with you in that space. Right. Now, unless we have to open our v our own VRM like in Ocean City, and <laughs> then we're coming. But again, I, we're hoping that's a, a smaller blueprint for what we're after. Pull in case of emergency. Yes. Yeah, yeah, break glass in case of emergency. Break yeah, glass. That glass is broken currently. <laughs> now, now, with that said, we're excited to do that too because it's given us an opportunity yeah. to then build in the open and share that process and show how TAN can plug in very quickly in order to scale a business and launch a new vacation rental manager. So we're excited for that. But to Scott's point, we'd rather not do it on a regular basis. We'd rather find partners versus <laughs> launching in every market. Understood. All right, gentlemen, I think that's a good summary of everything. Anything else you guys want to add or should we pop a bow on it? 
no, that was great. I appreciate it. And looking forward to talking with the managers out there that understand or have questions. We're happy to talk with you. You can always reach me at a Norco at planwithtan.com. So a N O R K O at planwithtan.com. Right on. And we also got the site live since last episode. So maybe we could do a quick promo there. You can now head on over to revboostcollective.com and you can see all the podcast episodes there posted up. Adam, you've been posting some content more to come, I'm sure as well. That's now live. So we're going to have a kind of a new home where people can check this out on a website format as well. So definitely go check that out. We would love reviews. If you haven't already left a review, leave a review. And I think we promised puppy picks last week. What could we promise this week as far as? That's Adam's side of the world, Conrad. Yeah. Adam is Adam seems to be the promise maker. So let's see, let's yeah. see what he's got. What do you think, Adam? Buy some uh, we're going to Mexico for some training for Casago soon. So maybe we'll get uh, a picture of Scott out at the pool if we get some movies. <laughs> okay. Scott at the pool with a cowboy hat. We'll get the picture only if you leave a oh, you don't leave a Or if we jump back to the first one, I could get a video of Scott yeah. Disco. So we'll have uh, to see what happens. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. He was supposed to tell that to nobody. And here we are telling hundreds of people. So there. what was the name of your song, Adam? Was it Buy Dirt or Eat Dirt? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out soon. <laughs> right, right, we'll behave in mexico we'll get some pictures they'll be shared privately not publicly but only to leave a review so all good blackmail stuff for us to have thank you guys so much we appreciate it and we will catch you on the next episode